I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity, and lover of your souls. Amen. Today we're going to get elemental about Advent. We're going back to the basics of cosmological primary school because that's where our epistle writer of 2 Peter seems to take us when he writes, the elements will be dissolved with fire, the heavens will be set ablaze and destroyed. The language of this verse and other apocalyptic imagery from scripture have been used by pop culture to create fantastical predictions about what we call the second advent of Christ and others see as the day of judgment at the end of time. From films like Armageddon or The Matrix or the endless list of zombie apocalypses, and even the Christian Left Behind series uh, all point us to a gruesome end with heavenly hosts hurling fireballs from the sky and people evaporating into the air. The juxtaposition we see between the Jesus of the Gospels and the Jesus who will come again to judge the world seems so very different. But there are these pockets of cosmological predictions in the Gospels. We heard one last week directly from Jesus in the lectionary. The sun will be darkened, he said, the stars will fall from heaven, and the Son of Man will be seen coming in the clouds. What are we to do with these apocalyptic images? What are we to take away from them? I don't think we are the first to ask this question. Whoever Second Peter was written to, I think it was a number of churches, and whatever audience he had in mind, it seems that those people were also asking the same questions we are. So when the epistle writer reassures everyone that indeed the elements will be dissolved with fire, to understand what he may mean, we have to go back a few hundred years before even those words were written. Back to fifth century Greece, BCE, and the theory of the universe outlined by the philosopher Empedocles. Now Empedocles claimed that the universe is composed of four roots, a root being the source or the foundation of a thing. He named the four foundational roots after Greek gods, and he claimed that they were in a perpetual dance of coming together and pulling apart to create the cosmos. Everything began with earth, water, fire, and air. The four roots of all things are moved by two opposing forces, love and strife. Empedocles writes, the four roots come together under the agency of love and then are driven apart by strife. And this movement continues to seek balance until either love or strife wins out. Now this wasn't just the mysticism of his time, this was the science of his time. In our contemporary world, we sometimes assume that science and religion exist only to antagonize each other. But seeking harmony with the essence of the universe, that's at the heart of both. Both science and the theological inquiry are theory 
dependent. Both rely on metaphor and modeling to make peace with questions like, how did our world begin and how will it end? In the earliest centuries of humanity, the natural and the supernatural walked hand in hand. And perhaps it's not that much different today. Whether it's 5 BC, 1 CE, or 2023, we're all still wondering about the origins and meaning of the universe and ourselves within it. Now, if you've never heard of Empedocles, don't worry. I hadn't either until I started studying this stuff. And it was the century after Empedocles that Plato and Aristotle, more familiar names, popularized these theories. They renamed the roots elements. And that word might be more familiar to you. Elements in Greek, it means the lining up of the smallest unit of a thing. And we still use that word as a scientific term today to describe our periodic table of elements. Now, Aristotle did make some adjustments to Empedocles' theory. This will be important in just a few moments, so hang with me. He added a subcategory to the element of air, which he called ether. And this he named again after a Greek god. Now, ether describes the space that exists outside of this material world. The god Ether had two sons, Erebos and Uramos, Uranos. Erebos became the word used to describe the air that circulates in the realm of the dead. And then Uranos, the word for the air that circulates in the heavens. And guess what? Uranos is the primary word we use for heaven in the entire New Testament. So, this word shows up all over the place, including in today's chapter from 2 Peter, which also includes all of these elemental terms. We see earth and water and fire, the heavens, as well as the word element itself twice. This epistle, it was written around the first century, just a few hundred years into the prevalence of this new mystical and scientific theory of elements, which would remain the dominant theory of the universe for more than 2,000 years. This theory wasn't debunked until the end of the 17th century. So this was it. It's this theory that the author of 2 Peter is working with in today's epistle. He was assuming the science of the day when he entertained the question of how Christians are to live with the the end of the cosmos in view. Now, in our lectionary text that you'll find in your bulletin, we're missing the beginning and the end of this third chapter of 2 Peter. So I'm gonna fill you in on the whole passage to help frame today's reading. But as I do, hear this. When the author of 2 Peter is talking to us about what earth, air, water, and fire will do at the end of the world, he's not prophesying about the end times as much as he's reciting from his primary school science book, okay? This is what he says in a nutshell. We all know how the universe works. 
But in case you've forgotten, let me remind you, the four elements that created all things will one day be destroyed. In the tug of war between strife and love, strife is going to unmake all things. We all know this. This is the way the universe works. And if strife has the power to do this, you may be asking, what are we Christians to do in, a, in response? His exact words in verse 11 are, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be? And is this not the same rhetorical question that every book or movie about the end of the world asks its main character? Now that you know it's your last night on earth, what will you do? While you're waiting for the end to come, who will you be? We all know the answer is supposed to be something better than what you were before you knew the end was near. Today's epistle answers these ontological, cosmological questions by reminding us all that the point of destroying this cosmos is so that God can make a new one. Jesus is returning to bring justice to an unjust world and to begin a new era where everything that was wrong will finally be set right. And this rightness, Scripture calls righteousness. Today's text reads that God promises to make new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. The end will come. And there is something we can all do to hasten its arrival. Strive to be found by Christ at peace, we read today. Strive to be found by Christ at peace. Remember, the entire universe is moved by only two forces, love and strife. They control the elements. If one day strife will unmake all things, then what Christians must do to make sure love wins out is find peace, is find the antithesis of strife. Right? Strife means to quarrel. It signifies a bitter conflict. Only peace can bring about the swift end of strife. So make peace with yourselves and with one another, he writes, so that you are without spot or blemish when Christ returns. Grow in patience as you await the judgment, the destruction of evil, the salvation of good. This passage, which first seems to herald only destruction, is ultimately heralding peace. This passage, which seems to focus on judgment, is, I think, focusing ultimately on love as the hopeful victor of the cosmos. In Empedocles' writings, he made clear that all the elements would eventually hate and reject strife. They would ultimately choose love. The worship of love, he said, would then create the conditions needed for restoration. So hundreds of years before Second Peter was written, Empedocles saw that the trajectory of the cosmos was bent toward love. Second Peter 3 affirms this with the final sentences of the chapter, I think. Again, these are not found in today's lectionary. But in these closing remarks, the author reminds his audience that in fact the Apostle Paul has told them similar things before. 
Now, Paul wrote the letters to the Corinthians while he was in Asia Minor, where First and Second Peter were likely disseminated. This means that some people who are reading today's epistle may have already received Paul's teaching that had been given to the Corinthians, and that famous chapter all about love, in which he tells us, one day, all scientific knowledge will pass away. All prophecy will cease. And when that happens, Paul writes, there will be just one thing that, re that remains. What Empedocles said, love. Love never ends. When we get elemental about Advent and we go back to the basics of ancient cosmological primary school, we learn that strife and love will continue assailing each other over and over until you and I assist with the coming of the end of the world by seeking peace. Peacemaking is the path love needs to conquer strife. And if our scriptures predict anything, it's that maybe Empedocles was right, that love is really the source of recreation, that love remains when strife ends, and from it a new heaven and a new earth will be made after this current version is gone. This battle between love and strife, it's not just the narrative of the grand universe, it's also often the narrative of our own individual universes. I imagine you've experienced strife and love in conflict with each other in your own life. So let today's Advent lesson speak to that battle too. When strife seems to be winning, when your world feels like it's coming apart and all the elements that made it up appear to be dissolving before your eyes. Know this, what was will be unmade, but all is not lost. There will always be one thing left, one eternal force that can never ultimately be destroyed, love. Love never ends, love will remain, and it was and is and always will be the eternal source of regeneration. So let us be patient in the endurance of strife in our lives and in this life. May we learn patience now so that when the world comes to an end, we will have already found our peace. And then, when the last world of love creates a new world after the destruction of the old, we will be waiting expectantly, ready for the new cosmos to be built. Not with earth, water, fire, and air. Not with things that can be destroyed. But a cosmos built with peace and patience and justice and always and forever regenerated by love.